forgiveness. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that probably was not what anybody was thinking on January 1 was the great need in their life. But I'm going to suggest today that very much for all of us, wherever we are, that that is the great need and what that brings into our life. You know, this time of year, you know, the, the 27th, the 29th, the 31st, the 2nd, and of course the 1st. This is a time of year where we're a little bit more reflective than other times of year, aren't we? Now, that that reflection may only last for 30 seconds, but this is a time of year we kind of think about what we wish was better, what we wish was different, what we'd like to see changed in our lives, and maybe we think a little bit on what what could I do, what steps could I take so that, that maybe this would happen. Of course, here's the question, would that actually make us happy? You know, if our, if our mate finally started doing what we've been wanting our mate to do, if our kids started making straight A's and got in the path we've wanted them to be in all the time, you know, if our boss got transferred to, say, I don't know, Antarctica, you know, if we got a $10,000 raise and a promotion, is that going to make us happy? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, to be honest, yeah, that would do it. Yeah, chalk all those up. That would all be good. But you know, here's the thing, folks, wherever we go, whatever new status we step into that is now finally the status I've been longing for, we have two companions that go with us everywhere we go, enemy companions, guilt and anger, and they are absolute robbers of life. They can take anything that is right and good, they can take anything that you want to happen and wear it out so that in time it means nothing. And guess what takes care of those enemy companions? Folks, it's it's forgiveness. Forgiveness is what handles those issues in our life. So it doesn't really matter what else happens in life. If those companions are following us, we're ultimately not going to be happy. So we're going to focus this month. We're going to spend some time looking at, at how we enjoy forgiveness, how we live in it, how we give it. What does that mean? Aren't, aren't there consequences if, if people don't say they're sorry and if they don't? What do we do in all of these things? We're going to be looking at all of these areas in our life because we're going to answer. We're going to see the impact that forgiveness can have. Because folks, to, to enjoy anything, we've got to have spiritual life. And without Christ, without forgiveness, we are spiritually dead. Without Christ, without forgiveness, we are literally rotting in anger. We're rotting in the things that have been done to us. We're, we're rotting in guilt. We're, we're rotting in our self-hatred. And it's forgiveness that is going to to clear the path on all of these areas. And let me say it again. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that's not what we were thinking on January 1. I'm I'm not saying the things that you thought, boy, that would make life so much better. That That would make me so happy. I'm not saying those aren't real issues. I'm not saying that they're not important issues. I am sure they're real. I am sure they're important. I'm sure they're significant. What I'm going to suggest today is they're not the greatest need. And we're going to see today in a story, we're going to see Jesus express the greatest need in our life while he seemingly ignores what we would all say is the most obvious need. Jesus, you're missing the big deal here. No, that's, that's the lesson. That's not 
the big deal. Here's what the big deal is. Let's look at that this morning. Would you turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, second book into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. You get to Luke, you've gone too far. While you're turning there, let me say this. How about if we all read the Bible every day this year? What do you think? Okay. All right. Took a little time to get the steam built up on that one. Yeah, let, let's do that. You say, well, what do I do if I forget? Like on the 17th, I wake up and I don't read the Bible. Well, you, you get up on the 18th and you read it. That's what you do. Well, it's already the 5th. You know, if I do a Bible reading plan, I'm already four days behind. Well, no, start on the 5th, wherever the 5th is, and go all the way till next January 4th. Amen? We, we can do that. You know, a good Bible app to check out, check out on your iPad or your phone is Version. Y-O-U version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N, Version Bible app. You can get about any Bible translation on that for free. You can get about any Bible translation on that. There's a lot of Bible reading plans as a way to read through your Bible uh, during the year. So check out Version. Uh, I like ESV, English Standard Version. I like the Holman Christian Standard. I like the New Living, very, very very readable. That's probably one of the easiest uh, ones to read. I like those. I also like, now I know I'm going to sound like I'm from the 1900s here. Well, I actually, I am from the 1900s, so that doesn't really make much, make much sense. I like carrying a book. I like carrying a Bible to church. You know what? I, I, you know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. I don't think God's offended or bothered at all if you're reading it electronically. But here's the thing. When you're reading your Bible electronically, I mean, do we know you're reading your Bible? Are you playing dots? Temple Run 2, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Are we, you know, here, here's, here's a case I'd make. R- bring it, read electronically. That's awesome. But you know what? When people walk through our door, and do you know every single Sunday we have people walk through our doors for the very first time. And whenever you walk into a big room, you walk into a place, you're not sure what's going on, you try to get a lay of the land, don't you? What are these people like? What are they doing? How do I fit in? How do I not look stupid? And I think it's just awesome when people walk through the door and everywhere they look, somebody's carrying a Bible, somebody's reading a Bible. They might leave here thinking, man, those folks up there, they believe in the Bible. Amen? Do we want that? Yeah, so maybe, maybe something to consider. At least carry a book that looks like a Bible and then use your electronic device on it. Amen? Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And when he, he is Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even in the door, at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, should underline that. You can do that if you have a Bible. Uh, and when they saw Jesus' face, he, he, when he saw their faith, okay, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And he arose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, our story starts with uh, Jesus entering Capernaum. Notice that he says he returned home. Capernaum's where Jesus hung out. You may not have known that. You may not have known what town, but he spent most of his time in Capernaum. That was kind of like a a base of operations for him. He called most of his disciples, not all of them, but a lot of them out of Capernaum. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew. That's just off the top of my head. There may have been one or two others that were called out of Capernaum, but I I know at least those five came out of Capernaum. He did some of his most striking miracles there, the one we just read, the feeding of the 5,000. All that took place in Capernaum. As a matter of fact, folks, Capernaum, maybe as much as any city in the New Testament, Capernaum had about as much opportunity to see, to hear, and to experience Jesus as any group of people did. But here's the crazy thing. While they tended to go along with the crowd, while they tended to get excited and and, and do the religious thing, you know what? They never really followed them. The, The people of Capernaum never really followed their king. You know, as as I consider that, I kind of wonder: is that is that part of what maybe what's happened or what's happening in America? You know, I'm sure a lot of us in here were kind of concerned about the, the state of our nation and where we're going with the Lord. And, and you know, folks, our nation has about as rich a Christian heritage as any culture, as any group of people, as any nation has had in history or as any nation has on the earth today. I mean, we got, we got churches on every corner. We got radio stations and Christian music and, and bookstores for, for Christian books and Bibles. We got Bible studies at work, Bible studies at school. I mean, you don't have to work to see and to hear and to experience something about the Lord in America. And yet we're as far from him today as a nation as we've ever been and seem to be picking up speed going in the other direction. Why is that? Is it because we're kind of like those in Capernaum? Yeah, we went with the crowd. We got excited when that was everybody was doing that, that religious thing, but, but we never really followed them. Something to think about, to consider. You, you read there verses 1 and 2, a lot of activity in those verses, and a lot of, a lot of movement going on. Jesus is coming into town, the whole town is a buzz. I think probably to get a feel for what Capernaum felt like that day, you'd almost have to imagine the President of the United States coming to, to Richmond. I, I mean, if the President was coming here tomorrow, that's what they'd be talking about on the talk shows, on the news. You'd open up the newspaper and it'd be talking about traffic patterns, and, and whether we were going to see him or not, we'd be talking about, boy, he's here today. Today, and we'd be talking to people who did go and say, that's what's happening in Capernaum right now. Man, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz. Everybody's talking about it. And they start crowding into this house, crowding around this house. There's more people outside the house that can't even see or hear Jesus than are inside the house. But they're there. Maybe they're hoping to catch him on the way out. They want to see him, maybe just touch him. I mean, he's there. Now, now what are they looking for? What are the needs those people are feeling? You know, I think sometimes we, we read about people in the Bible and we separate ourselves from them. We make them a, like a, you know, from another planet. And yet, folks, the people in that room with Jesus that day have all of the same needs you and I have. Not one bit different. It doesn't change from generation to generation. 
The needs don't change from, from culture to culture. I say don't change at all. I mean, I'm sure nobody in the room there was thinking about a car payment this month. I'm sure nobody in the room there is thinking about upgrading their phone to the iPhone 5S and download that version Bible app. I'm sure nobody in that room is thinking that. But folks, those aren't the heavy things weighing on our hearts. Those, those aren't the real needs. You know, in that room, just like in this room, they carried all the same things into this room. Somebody in that room, just like in this room, is really weighed down about their marriage. Not very satisfied, not just frustrated, tried this, tried that. It, it, it. Somebody in that room is, is frustrated with a child. Maybe it's an adult child, but they don't know how to encourage. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to direct. As a matter of fact, when they try to, they're not sure they're not making things worse. There's somebody in the room there with Jesus that day is, man, finances are heavy. Finances are, are weighing on them. And yeah, even in a really religious culture like Capernaum, I'll guarantee you there's somebody in that room that's not even sure what they think about this whole God thing. I don't know. I don't I believe, not believe. I don't know. I'll listen to this guy. I'll see. Maybe I don't. Somebody in that room's lonely. And they're in a room filled with people, but they're lonely. Or somebody in that room needs to make a decision. And man, right, left, you make a wrong decision. I mean, the consequences are, are pretty heavy and they're really weighing how to make this decision. And they, they don't know what to do. All the same things that you and I carried into this room today, they carried into that room. And what does Jesus do with that? What, what, what does he say to all these needs? Well, the passage there says he began to teach them the word. Now, that doesn't tell us anything specific that he said that day there in the house. But if you do a study of the word word and how it's used throughout the Gospels, quite often when the word word, it's the word logos, when it's used, it's a reference to belief. It's a reference to salvation. In other words, when it says he preached to them the word, he started talking to them about having a relationship with God. All these things going on in their life, these heavy needs. And he talks to them about a relationship with God. And it, did y'all feel that dirt? Is, there's dirt coming down from the roof. He's, he's talking to them and all of a sudden the ceiling starts coming in. Uh, would you get nervous if the ceiling started falling in? I, I would. Generally speaking, that's a bad thing, right? You know, I mean, you think, you look around, man, the, the house is packed. Clearly this house has more people than it can handle. You can hear people up on the roof. And now it's, it's the whole thing about to cave in. But, but before anybody got anxious and started running out, it appears they were able to figure out what was going on. No, it's not, it's not caving in. Somebody's digging through the roof and they lower this guy down and he, and he, he lands right there in front of Jesus. You know, as that guy is lowered down, and he's laying there on the ground. If that was you, would you be kind of embarrassed? I mean, nobody else is laying down. I want to look like everybody else. I want to, I want to fit in. I don't want to stand out. And this guy's laying down in the dirt. And he's, he's paralyzed. He's weak. It's kind of embarrassing. You, you think he's wondering what people are thinking? You know, I ask that question, folks, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to suggest that every single person in this room you have missed, there's been a place in your life, a time in your life where you missed what God wanted to do in your life. You missed what God wanted to be in your life. And do you know why we missed it? Because we were more concerned about what people around us were thinking. Oh boy, do we bow at the altar of our false God 
of what people are thinking. And we were so in tune with what was going on around. They might say this, or if I do that, I wonder, they'll, they'll think I'm doing this, or they'll, they'll think I'm doing and And we didn't do anything, and we missed it. You, you think that's what's happening here with this guy? No, of course not. He could care less what you think. He's not thinking at all about what you think. You know why? Because he believes this guy might be God. And he believes this guy might just be who and what can do a life-changing thing in his life right here, right now. He doesn't care what you think. He is lasered in. He is dialed in on Jesus. And that is all that he is thinking about. And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. What? Uh, thank you. I was kind of hoping, you know, for something out and laying here in the dirt. Did, did he, when Jesus said that, did that guy laying there think that Jesus had just met the need in his life? If you're sitting there in the crowd and, and you're thinking, hey man, this, I came to see the show, right? I, this Jesus, he does miracles. He does these, these fancy things. I hope he's getting ready to do something like that. And you see this guy lowered down and then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Are you disappointed? Are, are, are you thinking, hey, Jesus, that's not what he wants. Come on. You know, now let's think about what we've got in the story so far. We've got crowds coming Carrying all the things that you and I are carrying. It doesn't mention their needs, but their people. They're the needs and the issues that, that people have. And what does Jesus do? He talks to them about a relationship with God. Then we have a specific individual come with a very specific need. Everybody in the room knows what this guy's need is. And what does Jesus do? He talks to him about a relationship with God. Because when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he's saying, I can, I will, I have restored you into a right relationship with God. That is the real need in your life. It's not the, the, the status of your health. It's, it's, it's not your body. Man, with God living in you, you can take on anything, whether you're healed or not healed. The real need is God living in you. Jesus talks to him about a relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus told you this morning that your real need, your great need, was a relationship with him, would you believe him? That's a, that's a huge question. It's important now we're sitting in church, so we, we know that's the right answer, right? Yes, Lord, I need you. But I'm serious. With, with the bills that are on you right now, with the thing that's going on at work, with, with the, the decision that's got to be made this year, with, with the health crisis you're kind of dealing with. And this is, I mean, this is big. This is heavy. You really would like to see something change here. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? Your real need is forgiveness. Your real need is to come into a growing, thriving relationship with me. Would you believe him? Because you see, folks, what we perceive to be the great need in our life, that's where our energy is going in 2014. That's what we're going to pursue. That's what we're going to run after. You know, a lot of times we'd say we're running after God because we're praying. We're not going after God. We're going after that thing. I just want God to help me to do it. I'm pursuing God to help me pursue the great thing in my life. If I don't dial in on what I believe is the great need, the great opportunity, the, the, the real thing going, if I don't dial in on what that is, then I'm not choosing what my life is going to pursue because your life is naturally going to pursue that. 
Now let, let's think about how these, what we've got in our story, how they're pursuing. Wh- whose need is getting met? We, we, we have the crowds come when it's convenient, when it's fun. I mean, it's religious day. And, 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 you know, we're expecting a show. It ought to be good. And, and they go and they, they fill in the house and it's crowded and, and they've got all the needs that you and I have. Now, to our knowledge, the story doesn't tell us about any of their needs being met. But, you know, we don't know. But it, we would say maybe nobody in that room's need was met. And then we have this individual whose need we do see met. What's different about him and the, and the crowd? Well, one thing, he's not going along with the crowd, is he? No, he's actually having to work against the crowd. He's having to work against what's convenient. He's having to work against what's comfortable. As a matter of fact, does not Jesus say there, because of your faith? Faith? Hey, Jesus just pointed out what faith is. I want to know what faith is. Isn't faith what moves mountains? Isn't faith what gets prayers answered? Isn't faith what pleases God? I want to know what's faith. Man, Jesus just pointed out, if you're looking at this story... What would you say faith is? When when Jesus looks at these four guys and what they did with their friend and says, that's faith, what is he pointing to? It looks to me like it's their tenacity. Man, man, you know what, when they're, you figure, I mean, picture there's four guys, they're carrying this guy in some kind of mat here and they they approach the home, I don't know, are they 100 meters away, maybe from a quarter of a mile away, they could see, man, this, look how packed it is, good, great, we're never going to get a parking spot. We're not going to get any kind of seat. You're not going to get in there to see him. Did, did one of them turn? I mean, we can't get it. Let's look for another day. Maybe we'll catch Jesus around town. No, no. There was no inconvenience. There was no annoyance. There was, there was no discomfort. They believed God was inside that house. They believed the opportunity for a life-changing moment was inside that house. And they weren't slowing down. They were not backing up. They were not changing courses for anything, whatever it takes. I think that's what Jesus is pointing to when he says, because of your faith, that tenacity, that, that creativity. Let me ask you a question this morning. Would tenacity describe your pursuit of God? You know, I think it would actually be hard for us to answer that question because we're so quick to answer it with things that aren't about the question I just asked. We'll answer that question by saying, well, I'm trying to obey all the rules. Well, I'm a pretty good person. The people who are sitting on the row around me, they think I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'm a good church member. I've been a church member here for a long time. I, I, I didn't ask you any of that stuff, though. I, I asked you, what adjective would you use to describe your pursuit of God? Would, would Jesus look at that adjective that describes your pursuit and say, man, I'll tell you something, that. Look, everybody, look, that's faith. That's faith. Would tenacity describe that for you? Now, folks, I think we could almost end the story right here. Story's done. Say, wait a minute, the guy's still laying there on the dirt. Yeah, but Jesus is done. Yeah, but Jesus, he's still laying in dirt. He's still paralyzed. You know, I think Jesus leaves him there on purpose. Not just to communicate something to him, but to communicate something to all of us. The physical thing, the big thing, the overwhelming thing that everybody notices. This has got to be the great need. No, it's not. The great need is your relationship with me. And I just met that need. Eternally in this man's life, I just met that need. Well, surely you want him to be healed. Maybe. Maybe not. Folks, if God's real, does that mean that he's the great need in our life is that everything works and that we're always happy and that we're always healed? 
You know what? If the people around you need a recipe for walking with God when everything is right and perfect, then I'm sure God will make everything right and perfect in your life. And then the people around you can see what it's like to follow God when everything's right and perfect. But I'm guessing the people around you and me, the real challenge in their life is not to see how to walk with God when everything's right and perfect. They're trying to figure out how to walk with God when life stinks. What if the most exciting and powerful thing God can do in and around your life He's going to do with you being sick? What if they're going to see how you handle that financial crisis with God, not with a big load of money falling from the sky and a promotion and a raise? What if they see how you, with tenacity, hold on and pursue God in the struggle? Folks, I'm not saying God wants you to struggle. God loves you and God wants good things for you and God likes healing. But God is also doing some things that count for all eternity. And sometimes God is trying to reach the people around you. And sometimes the most effective witness I can be is to follow God, pursue God, and hold on to God with Him being the great thing in my life, not this thing I want God to do. And that's what the people around me need to see. What is the the great thing? In, In this moment, Jesus has just met the great need in His life. End of story. Now, part two. Not at all related to this story, Jesus begins to deal with the scribes. These are the holy hitmen. They're kind of like half policeman, half lawyer. Scribes are people that are experts in the law, in interpreting the law, and understanding how to obey it to the exact letter of the law. They move out into the community, and it's their job to make sure that, that, that you're obeying the law. And they're sitting there, and they hear Jesus say, "'My son, your sins are forgiven.'" He can't do that. He he can't. Only God can forgive sins. For Jesus to say that was to make a claim to be God. For Jesus to say that was literally, in their minds, an attack on the authority and the majesty of God. It was blasphemy and it was punishable by stoning unto death. That's what they're reasoning. Did, Did you notice how the language was written there? That's what they were thinking. Doesn't say they were talking out loud. And the passage doesn't say Jesus overheard them. It says Jesus knew what they were thinking. He perceived in his spirit what was going on in them. Newsflash here. Did you know Jesus always knows what's going on inside you? He always knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking when you're all, all alone at home in your own thoughts. He knows what you're thinking in a big room filled with people and it's quiet. He knows what you're thinking when you're in a big room filled with people and it's not quiet. Go back 20 minutes ago and we got all the music and everything going. He knew what you were thinking then. Jesus always knows what you're thinking. He knows what these guys are thinking and he says, hey, listen, what would be easier? The operative word here is the word easier. What would be easier to heal the guy or to forgive his sins? Forgiving his sins is not as verifiable. We can't see whether a person's really been forgiven or not. We can see if they've been healed. So Jesus says, hey, which is easier, the forgiveness or the healing? Now, the joke and the question is, which is easier? Both of them are impossible. A a man can't heal a man's paralysis, and a man can't forgive a man's sins. They're both impossible. It's like Jesus saying, which is easier, picking up a million pounds of bricks or a million pounds of feathers? Some of you still haven't gotten that. You should have gotten it in third grade. It's a million pounds either way. It's irrelevant whether, you see what Jesus said, the question is, it's irrelevant whether it's a brick, it's irrelevant whether it's feathers. They're both impossible. Unless you're God. Then both are equally as 
easy. Whether he forgives them or whether he heals them. Now, we would say that the great need in this man's life is to be healed. Is that why Jesus healed him? The answer is no. Jesus said very clearly there why he went to heal this guy. He's talking to the scribes and he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the reason. He'd already met the man's need. But so that these scribes know, so that the crowd knows, so that you and I 2,000 years later know, hey, there's a guy that has the authority to forgive sins. So that we know that, he heals them. And I love the way he does this. Hey, uh, pick up your mat and go home. What? Come on, Jesus. Man, if that was me, I'd have had smoke come in right below my feet. And I'd said, cue the music, and there'd have been a big buildup. And I'd have waved my arms and had a big incantation. Rise! Oh, I'd have gotten, I'd give myself goosebumps just thinking about how I would have done it. I mean, that's not very dramatic to say, hey, uh, pick up your mat and go home. You know what, folks? There's nothing hard for God. He doesn't have to have a big build-up. He doesn't have to, to get a running start. Hey, pick up your mat and go home. And you know he can do that in any and every area of your life. It's just that simple. He just has to speak it. Now, ah, praise God, he can do that. But then that becomes the, the crisis of faith. Why hasn't he done it? If God can just speak and bring the healing and bring the provision and, and bring the... Then why doesn't he do it? You know what? I can't answer that today for you. Other than God's good... And he knows what he wants to do in your life. It might be to what I just said a moment ago. It, it could be that the reason he's saying no to that prayer is because in the no, he can do the greater work in your life or in the lives of those watching you. But he's good. And if he's saying no, it's for a good reason. It's for a loving reason. He can't act in a way that's not loving. I can be in a loving person, but still act in a way that's not very loving. God can't. God doesn't act in a way that's not loving and concerned for you. And he can just speak and it's done. Folks, this lesson seems to me, this story seems to me to be just confronting you and me in the face. That huge, overwhelming physical need is not the great need. I'm not saying it's not important. Not saying it's not significant. Not saying it's not right and good for you to want it to change. But it's not the great need. And because it's not the great need, it should not be the great pursuit I think Jesus would turn away from the story and look at you and me in the face and say, the great pursuit is me. You need, you need Jesus and the relationship I can give you with God. And do you know why I can do that? Do you know why you can be born again? Do you know why you can be a child of God and inherit heaven? Do you know why God will actually come and live in you? One word, forgiveness. One word, forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes at an extremely high cost. I've been kind of saying this in the last several sermons. kind of been a theme of mine for the last month or so. That forgiveness comes at the cost of shed blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And your blood won't do it. Your blood's poisoned. It's tainted with the sin. Jesus comes and sheds his blood. And when you and I come under that blood... When, when we put our faith and our confidence in that blood... We come under his name. We can be born again... And this great work of God called forgiveness can become the great work that we do in this world because we hurt each other so much in this world. Forgiveness is what will radically change your life. Forgiveness is what will bring joy. Forgiveness will take care of these guys, anger and guilt that follow you wherever you go. 
We're going to look at a lot of exciting things about forgiveness this month. How do you forgive people? What about if they haven't said they're sorry? What about if they're not changing? Are there not consequences? If, if I bring about consequences, does that mean I've not forgiven? We're going to look at all that. Man, how do I believe God's really forgiven me? How do you really believe that? How do you really live in and enjoy? What's that look like? Or how about this one? One of the greatest lies that so many believers live under. Oh, I believe they've forgiven me. I believe God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself? Really? Where does the scripture tell us how to do that? Or is that just a big lie that's keeping us from something? We're going to look at all that this month. Folks, forgiveness is not an issue. It's not a topic of the Bible. It's not a character quality of God. Folks, it's front and center. Think about this. Jesus taught us how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. We recite it, right? And we should recite it, but we should do more than just recite it. Each one of those lines is to launch us into a subject of prayer. And when you and I said, hey, Lord, hey, God, teach us to pray. He said, you know, when you pray, here's one of the things you ought to pray about. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus said, when you pray, that needs to be a constant part of your prayer life. Confessing what, what needs to be cleaned out, the junk that needs to be cleaned out of your heart and soul, what's wrong between you and God, confessing that and getting that right. And you know what? I'll bet when a lot of us pray, we do that, don't we? We say, hey, God, I'm sorry for this. I confess that. Would you forgive me and help me to enjoy that forgiveness? But I'll bet what a lot of us don't spend much time doing at all is what Jesus said should be a part of our prayer life just as regularly. Hey, God, where are there hurts and angers living in my life? Where is there bitterness that I'm not dealing with? Have I really forgiven like you've called me to forgive? Folks, I want to say something really harsh, kind of hard to handle. If you're struggling with anger and guilt, you might not be a child of God. God has some really harsh things to say about the utter incompatibility with saying, I love God, but I sure hate you. You can't. You cannot have consumed the wonderful power forgiveness of God and hate. Now, you can be a wonderful religious person, but we're not wanting to be a wonderful religious person, are we? That doesn't change things. We want God living in us. Folks, I think it's going to be an exciting month. I think it's going to be a month. I want you to pray with me about this. I, I hope you'll take some time, maybe once a week when you're praying about your church and your church family. Would you pray, God, I believe, maybe in my own life because of my own life, God, I believe there's a lot of people in our congregation. I believe our congregation knows a lot of people and maybe we'll invite them and bring. We are absolutely shackled. We are absolutely constantly followed by guilt and anger. Folks, we can dramatically impact lives with the message of forgiveness and how we live that. Let's pray God over the course of just January is going to do an awesome, powerful, miraculous. He is going to raise the paralyzed because some of us are absolutely paralyzed in our guilt and our anger. And he's going to do a mighty work in this midst. Can we pray that together? Let's do this. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And I want to give you one sentence. I want to give you one thing to pray for. And then after that, if you want, you can tune me out. Maybe you can keep listening. I don't care. But let's all together pray this one thing. Lord, what do I need to do to take a step forward with you in 2014? Lord, what do I need to do so that I'm not a better religious person or a better church member, but I'm, I'm a genuine, growing, thriving follower of Jesus Christ? 
Do I need to receive and really live in your forgiveness? Do I need to give it to somebody? Do I need to encourage somebody? Do I need to tell somebody in my life the gospel? I know you've been telling me to do that. And I look for all kinds of reasons why that wasn't the right time. Maybe I need to, to begin really trusting you with my finances and, and exercise in obedience the act of giving because I do trust you. Maybe I need to read the Bible every day. Lord, what do I need to do so that this is not just another year of doing the, the religious thing, the church thing, but this is a year which I have a profound experience with you? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move through this room, that you would speak and that you would guide each one of us. And I, I pray, Lord, this thought, this idea doesn't leave us today. I pray it doesn't leave us this week, that we, we think long and hard, not just about something we want fixed or better, but we think about how with tenacity we pursue you, how you become the great need, the great prize in our lives. Lord, there might be somebody in here today that the step they need to take is to become a genuine child of God, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Would you tell them right now if that's the step they need to take? Lord, maybe somebody in here today, they, they need to join the church. And I don't mean just put their name on a roll of another church. I can't imagine you're that, all that impressed with a, a computer readout. But somebody here today needs to formally become a part of the heights so that they can formally begin building relationships where we love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, minister to one another, encourage one another. Wow, Lord, the story of the New Testament is how we follow you together. How we do the work of the kingdom together. Lord, if there's somebody in here not connected, would you tell them if this is the place there to connect, if this is the place where that's to start happening? Lord, I don't want another year where I just spin out the same things, carrying around the same problems, having the same gripes. God, I want you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.